So we've seen today that Jesus drove out an evil spirit and he healed people. And we need to view this passage with Jesus's teaching about the kingdom of God as the backdrop. And when we do this, we see that Jesus's miracles confirm his message. And what's more, we begin to understand our role in building God's kingdom. So we're going to look at three uh, things this morning. The first thing, what's the message? What did Jesus actually teach about God's kingdom? Secondly, uh, what's the evidence? How can we be sure that what Jesus taught about God's kingdom is true? How can we rely on it? And thirdly, what's our role in building God's kingdom? So what's the message? What's the evidence? And what's our role? So firstly, what's the message? Well, we've seen in our study of Luke that Jesus, Israel's long-awaited Messiah, came in an unexpected way with an unexpected agenda. Uh, The Jews were expecting a mighty leader who would liberate them uh, from Roman oppression and restore Israel to its former glory. Uh, They were waiting for God to send a military and political leader who would forcibly eject the Romans from the land that God had given to Israel. And then Jesus came, and he wasn't what anyone was anticipating. He rejected the way of the sword, embracing instead the way of the cross. Instead of talking about rising up against the Romans, he spoke about loving one's enemies and praying for them. And and this this teaching was radical. It had never been heard before. this would have been really difficult for any first century Jew to get their head around. What we're not we're not going to fight the Romans. And yet Jesus did come to save Israel. Indeed, he came to save the whole of humanity, which of course includes Israel. And he came to Israel first. He came to conquer the enemies of sin and death and to do away with all that is evil. In other words, he came to restore the whole of creation, to put things back. Uh, the way that God wants them to be. But then for the Jews, and indeed for us, there's another unexpected twist. Jesus didn't come to do all this in one go when he walked on the earth uh, just over 2,000 years ago. If that was the case, the world wouldn't be so messed up today. Jesus came to establish God's kingdom, yes. But God's kingdom won't be fully established until Jesus returns at the end of time. So it's almost like salvation in two parts. Part one, Jesus came, he led a perfect life, he was crucified, he died, was buried, and on the third day, he rose from the grave. And then over a period of 40 days, he appeared to the disciples. On on one occasion, he appeared to 500 people, or more than 500 people, in one go. He then ascended to heaven, sending us his Holy Spirit until he returns. God's kingdom has been established. God's flag has been planted firmly in the ground. Jesus has made a way for us back to God. He's made it possible for creation, and that includes you and me, to be put back the way that it should be. And then there's part two. Jesus will return. That will be the end of history as we know it. Creation will be restored. Those who know and love Jesus will be made perfect in an instant. God's kingdom will be fully established forever. 
Part one and part two are sometimes uh, described as the now and the not yet. God's kingdom is here, it's here now, but it's not yet fully here. We live in, in that incredibly exciting time between part one and part two. And that is to say, uh, at the very, that, that is a, a, a really cursory overview of some of Jesus's uh, teaching about God's kingdom. It scratches the surface, uh, but we need that backdrop if we're going to understand the miracles that we're hearing about today. So what's the evidence that Jesus's message is true? Uh, Well, last week we heard Jesus stood up in the synagogue and he said these words, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Uh, This week we see Jesus providing examples. Jesus is doing the stuff that we heard him speaking about last week. Jesus is showing us what God's kingdom looks like. We've all seen film trailers, haven't we? Uh, Actually, when I'm at the cinema, I love watching the trailers. Do you like the trailers? I really like the trailers. Uh, They give you an idea of what's coming. They show you all the exciting things that are going to happen in this particular film. But the trailer is not the film. Once we watch a trailer, we then have to wait patiently for the film to be released. But we've got a good idea of what's coming. And Jesus' miracles do something similar. They enable us to catch a glimpse of what God's kingdom will be like. What it will be like when Jesus returns to put everything right. The thing is with film trailers, sometimes we watch a trailer and they've crammed all the best bits into about two minutes. And then we watch the film and we say, huh. Well, that's a bit disappointing. I can assure you that will not be the case with God's kingdom. The reality will far outweigh the expectation, as it says in 1 Corinthians 2 verse 9. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. God's reality always outweighs our expectation. So let's look at the miracles themselves. Jesus was uh, rejected in his hometown of Nazareth. We saw that last week. Uh, They they were ready to throw him off a cliff. Uh, So he moved to Capernaum, which became the base for his ministry in the region of Galilee. Uh, Peter, Jesus' most trusted friend and disciple, was from Capernaum. He lived there, most likely had his fishing business base there. And the first thing to note is that the people were amazed at Jesus' teaching. Because his message had authority, which is what you might expect. Imagine a boy who was studying GCSE history. Actually, what's the equivalent of GCSE over here? Secondary school. Darren, what's the equivalent of GCSEs? OP. OP. Imagine a boy studying for his OP in history, teaching us about the life and times of Winston Churchill. Imagine everything that we knew about Winston Churchill, we'd learn from this particular boy. But then one day, Winston Churchill showed up. I know he's dead, but we'll put that to one side for the purpose of the analogy. Winston Churchill showed up, and he started to tell us all about his life. Imagine the authority he'd have uh, compared to that boy who was studying for his OPs. Of course, that's a very trivial analogy of what would have been a far uh, greater contrast. Uh, One day we'll meet God face to face. But imagine 
being sat in that synagogue in first century Palestine with Jesus, hearing him teach from the Bible. It's no wonder they were amazed. And then into all that comes this shout, this scream. A man possessed with an evil spirit cries out. He says, go away. What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And the answer to that evil spirit's question, have you come to destroy us, is yes. Yes. Jesus came to eradicate evil. That hasn't happened yet, but instances like this give us the assurance that it will. It's another instance of the now and the not yet. Jesus does away with evil. God's kingdom has come. But there will come a time when Jesus does away with evil completely at the end of time when God's kingdom is fully established. And if the people thought that Jesus taught with authority, then this miraculous deliverance demonstrates Jesus' authority all the more powerfully. Exorcists in the ancient world uh, used all kinds of uh, elaborate rituals and incantations to try and control demons. Uh, Jesus, Jesus simply said, be quiet, come out of him. Jesus didn't need any mumbo jumbo, he just spoke and the demon left the man unscathed. And the crowd rightly interpreted this as a sign of his authority. The miracles confirm the message or more to the point, the reliability of the message. But we might be looking at this with our modern post-enlightenment heads on uh, thinking, yeah, but demons aren't real. Whatever, whatever God was doing here, he can't literally have been delivering uh, a man from an evil spirit. And one of the reasons that we think like this is that we tend to, there's a lot of things that we tend to lump together. Let me explain. We've all heard how in the Middle Ages in Europe, if uh, they wanted to tell if uh, a woman was a witch, they would bind her and they would uh, throw her in the nearest body of water. And if she floated, she was a witch. And if she sunk like a stone, she wasn't. It's outrageous. It's nonsense. Or in our own times, we've probably come across people and churches who, have, uh, who see demons in everything. And we, and by we, I mostly mean society in general, we tend to lump everything together. And so anything that smacks of being supernatural, we just dismiss it. And we can be quite condescending. You know, we're modern people. We don't believe in any of that nonsense. And of course, we can find plenty of examples of people who have attributed a supernatural cause to a perfectly natural event. We can find lots of that sort of thing. But we shouldn't throw the baby out with the bathwater because the Bible makes it absolutely clear that there are spiritually, spiritual forces of evil at work in our world. Ephesians 6 verse 12 says this, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So when we hear of Jesus delivering this man of an evil spirit. I firmly believe that we are meant to understand this literally. That is what was happening. And not surprisingly, news of Jesus spread fast. In today's world, you can feed the cat. And that news, together with an image of Tiddles eating his dinner, can be on the other side of the world in a matter of seconds. 
In Jesus' day, word spread by word of mouth. Only the most exciting and important news spread fast. And news of Jesus spread so fast that by that same evening, there was a crowd of people at Peter's house where Jesus had gone after the synagogue. People who had brought their sick to be healed. Uh, They'd waited until sunset because that marked the end of the Sabbath. And for Jews, uh, they were prohibited from carrying heavy loads on the Sabbath. And that includes sick people. So they waited till sunset. Uh, So Luke describes how Peter's mother-in-law, we often don't think of the disciples being married, do we? But Peter had a mother-in-law. Many of the disciples were married. Uh, Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law of a severe fever. She was instantly healed, started waiting on them. And then Luke says, at sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness and laying his hands on each one, he healed them. So we see examples of God's kingdom breaking in to human history. We see examples of what it will be like when Jesus returns. Robert Louis Stevenson the author of uh, Treasure Island, uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Uh, He spent his childhood in Edinburgh, Scotland in the 19th century. As a boy, Robert was intrigued by the work of the old lamplighters who went around with a ladder and a torch, setting the street lamps ablaze for the night. This is obviously before electricity and every lamp had to be lit individually with a flame. And one evening, uh, as young Robert stood watching with fascination His parents said, Robert, what on earth are you looking at out there? And with great excitement, he exclaimed, look at that man. He's punching holes in the darkness. And that's a wonderful way of referring to Jesus' miracles. He's punching holes in the darkness. So we get a glimpse of what life will be like in the new creation. I think we can easily understand why the people of Capernaum didn't want Jesus to leave. They wanted him to stay. They wanted him to perform more miracles, to keep punching those holes in the darkness. But Jesus said this to them. He said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. And this is the first time that the phrase kingdom of God is used in Luke's gospel. And this is no coincidence. Luke wants us to understand that it is Jesus' message, his teaching, and his miracles taken together that give us the good news of the kingdom of God. Together, they give us a foretaste of what is to come. So finally, we need to ask the question, what is our role? What is our role in building God's kingdom? Well, as Christians, we are kingdom people. We are called to live as people who understand that God's kingdom is here now. And we know that one day it will be here in its totality. Uh, We recognize God's sovereignty over creation now. And we know that a time will come when no one will be able to deny God's sovereignty. Philippians 2 verses 9 to 11 tells us that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. As Christians, our role is to usher in the new creation, to usher in God's kingdom, to punch holes in the darkness. How do we do that? Well, there's lots of ways we can do that. We can love people. There's an infinite number of ways that we can demonstrate our love for people. We can, we can tell people the good news about Jesus. We can share our faith. We can forgive those who have wronged us. 
We can uh, be advocates for peace and justice. We can do all those things, and we should do. But we can also pray for the more overtly supernatural gifts of the Holy Spirit, the gift of healing, for example. I've seen too many people healed through prayer to believe uh, that it's just coincidence. And with each healing, we rejoice because it's another hole punched in the darkness. It belies God's intention. It points us towards where we are headed. But we're not yet there yet. We're not there yet. We're still watching the trailer. There will come a point uh, when prayer will not bring about healing. Even Lazarus, who Jesus rose from the dead, even Lazarus eventually died. And sometimes our prayers aren't answered in the way that we might hope. And thinking back to what Scott was saying last week, we don't ask for uh, spiritual gifts to advance our agenda. We ask for spiritual gifts to advance God's kingdom. As John Wimber uh, put it, he headed up the vineyard movement in the United States. It started in Canada, big uh, sort of healing ministry, among other things. He said, when we didn't pray for people, nobody got healed. When we prayed for healing, some people got healed. So let's keep praying for the gifts of the Spirit. Let's keep praying for the gift of healing. Let's uh, celebrate every hole that gets punched in the darkness. So to sum up, we've looked briefly at Jesus's teaching uh, on God's kingdom. We've seen that Jesus's miracles confirm his message. God's kingdom is here and God's kingdom will one day be here in the fullest possible sense. That is our hope as Christians. And we've seen that we have a role to play. We live as people who orientate the world towards God's kingdom, as people who punch holes in the darkness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for Jesus. And we're so drawn to Jesus because of the things that he said and did. Because of who he was and is. And Father, we thank you for all the instances we see in the New Testament of your kingdom breaking into human history. And Father, we thank you that it didn't stop and doesn't stop with the New Testament, that your kingdom is still breaking into human history. And the exciting thing is we have a part to play in that. We pray that you will lay it on our hearts to live as kingdom people and over the coming weeks and months and years to, to understand what that really means and to act upon it. Father, we pray your kingdom come. Your kingdom come in our lives, in our church, in uh, the TSAC community, in the wider Springfield community. We pray your kingdom come. In Jesus' name, amen.